When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. We did, and uh, had a. <laughs> All right, so you're gonna hear our uh, Wisconsin GPS and a Wisconsin host. It's the only way I can find my way around. Yeah, so guys, it's been a crazy week, and this is the only way we could get the intro and the break done. So kind of a crazy night too. It was a crazy night, a lot of fun, and uh, we'll do a VIP thing for that. But uh, more importantly, we're here for a really cool uh, albums unleashed discussion. Uh, with Rick Fox from Steeler to talk about the first Steeler album. I've been excited for this for a long time because I know you told me that you went and did this at Rome, California. Yeah. Damn, man. You know, just a little bit of stories that I got to hear, man. I'm really, really looking forward to this this week. It's a really good talk, and uh, I've got to tell you, we did the audio. You can hear everything being said, but just understand that just actually, it's very fitting we're recording the intro in a break in a car. Yeah. Because the interview is in a car also. Well, that all fits. Then. Yeah. My brother and I were uh, the air, uh, Rick Rick Fox's and his wife's ride from his house to Nam and Anaheim. So instead of just sitting in L.A. traffic and being pissed off, we decided to sit in L.A. traffic and talk about the steel round. <laughs> Seems Much like better. It's a better use of your time. Yeah, totally. So let's get the uh, the business out of the way first, and uh, I'm going to be handling all the business, or else we're going to crash I'm, in a fiery death. Yeah, because I'm going to just handle the steering wheel. Right. So the iTunes review, though, does... I re- see blue lights flashing ahead already. Yeah, we do. But the iTunes review does relate to you, Aaron. It does. Yes. The title of the iTunes review is So Aaron Doesn't Cry. <laughs> Thank you. So it's five stars, and it comes from Shane FNP. I definitely prefer to laugh over crying every day. 
And the, uh, the review is simple, straightforward, to the point. It says, you guys rock. Sincerely, the Mooger Fooger. Nice. Thank you, man. That's, so, that's a guy that's been with us for a long time. Long time. It's about time you get that iTunes review together for us. Yeah, he deserves the, and he deserves the shout-out. Him and his wife are really awesome people. I got to meet them last year. Right on. So uh, let's go to Geeks of the Week. Now, all right, guys, you're going to have a good laugh or you're going to have fun fast-forwarding on uh, the uh, iPod or whatever you're listening to this on because I have a lot of names to read this week. Don't fast-forward. Enjoy each and every one of them. When I get to the Twitter names, you're going to know because the names are really wacky and out there. So, Geeks of the Week, and if you're not if you're not familiar with this, if you want to be a Geek of the Week, just basically share on Facebook or retweet on Twitter the link to this episode, and I'll read your name next week on the show. It's that easy. Geeks of this week, Geeks of the Week this week are Adam Cox, Todd Cunningham, Ian Wadley, Matt Ashcraft, Joe Lascon, Kevin Williams, Jeffrey Mendenhall, Aaron Baker, Brian Knapp, Rock and Ron Runyon, Darren Parkin, Hoops, Eric Moore, Anthony Britt, John Phillips, Cobras and Fire. Trevor McDougal, Joseph Capone, Mark Alden Taylor from Freeform Rock Podcast, David Glenn, Rhett Bailey, Warren Money, Shane Abair, Sean Cullen, Brent Tibbetts, Snark at the Moon, Broken Bulb Studio, Baco, Mikhail Burrell, Joshua Toomey from the Talk Toomey Podcast, Rob Harris, Dan Chapu, Greg McGlone, Andrew Jacobs, Tom Smoke, The Rockin' Donkey, James McElhaney, Derek Novak, Stephen Atchison, SNJM Session Podcast, Gavin Potter, Vinky Putam, Ghost, Home of Hip Hop, Jesus Bryst, Evan Zinko, Ernesto Aguiar, Tuck, Pasingi Hari, Michaela Danowitz, Andrew T.O., Jordan Will, Josh Allett, Wesart, Dilly Bar, Nick Lovell, <laughs> Hero Iron Force, Little Marco, Easy Mac 301, Valum Kumar, Garcia the Boss, Kamawa, California Vanguard, Juju Ju, Sui Angel, Radmir J. Foex, Just Because, M Street Promo, Slick Nick, Drips Bar and Lounge, Allie Marie Rose, Amazing Blues, Zixmau, James Red, Lee, Bad Ring, Carone, Documentals Gossery, Andre Ben, Dead Mac DX, White Polar Bear Mount, Soar Gaming, Dwayne Morris, Always Working, Yokes, Last Shoot Limit, Boopker Nizar. Wow. Let me say that again. Boopker Nizar. One more time. Boopker Nizar. <laughs> If you play the podcast back, that makes sense. Play it backwards, it'll make sense. Cam, MV, Andreas Hausner, Graham Spark, Joe Becht, our guest from last week, yeah. and the Mooger Fooger. That's very cool, man. Sounds like we finally made it in the Twitterverse. Yes. And now that we've been shared by a world of hip-hop, I know we're crossover artists as well. Yeah, we've got range, man. Yeah, we do. So, broadcasting from a car on the way to Nashville, and hey. now we're going to an interview broadcast from a car in before, Los Angeles. Before we get to that, I just want to say, you know, last week's episode was really freaking awesome, and Joe Beck came on, and, and he nailed it, man. Yeah. He, he totally understands what we do, and he totally understands what we expect from our VIPs when they become a part of the show. And if you would like to become a VIP, it's very simple. Just go to decibelgeek.com and uh, check it out for yourselves. Otherwise, go to patreon.com. There's different levels. You, too, could host the Decibel Geek podcast with us. Will you do as good a job as Joe? Eh, you know, that's debatable because Joe was pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, he threw but down the gauntlet. You can try. Yeah, the gauntlet has been laid down, and now it's up to you to answer it. Become a Decibel Geek VIP, get all kinds of cool extra stuff, and if you like, you can host the show with us just like Joe did. And now time for Steeler. Awesome. Albums Unleashed. (laughs) 
Good to have you on the show again. Thanks to thanks for having me. <laughs> we are en route to Nam. We're driving through, uh, I guess, Los Angeles right now. And, and late as ever, late as usual. <laughs> going to go to the GHS Strings booth where Rick is going to be signing pictures. I don't know if I'm going to be signing pictures, but I'll sign anything somebody puts in front of me, okay. except a, a will. Okay. <laughs> I have a poster for you to sign. Well, thank you. Um, you have posters for me? Well, a desk booking poster. I'm having everybody sign it, oh. and then I'm going to frame it when I get home. I was going to say, I don't know of any posters of me. <laughs> but uh wanted to do an Alms Unleashed on the Steeler album with you because it's, it's one that, it's kind of one of those hidden gems, you know, like the, it, it's got a really loyal fan base, the people that, that like it really, really like it, and it's a, it's a big deal to a lot of people, and uh, how, how exactly did, did, do you wind up getting into Steeler? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm told that by a lot of people that the Steeler album is in their top five, top ten of Stranded on a Desert Island heavy metal yeah. albums. So I'm, I'm really appreciative of that. Uh, and of, all, of course, you know, the loyalty of the fan base is, goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. I appreciate it very much. Uh, first of all, I think where we were, Steeler came in from Nashville and got real big in Nashville, came out to L.A. Um, Ron said in, in the Inside L.A. Metal documentary that, uh, that Bob Nalbandia shot, he said that... Uh, uh, Ron, so I, I saw what I was up against with all the other bands in L.A. and the guys I had with me were not the same caliber and, and weren't going to be able to cut it, you know, to, to crack the bigger pond out here, if you will. Yeah. So he took a leap of faith and, and fired his whole band. And there went all the gear, the lights, the PA, the truck, everything. And, and he started over. And uh, I had put a timely enough, I put an ad in Music Connection magazine in the Musicians Classified section. I was a bass player and, and I was looking for a gig. I played with Wasp and I was from New York and and uh, something directed Ron to see that ad and he contacted me. He said it was a really pro looking ad and, and like that. So uh, I went down to meet him at what, what became known as the Steeler Mansion, which is an inside joke because uh, it wasn't really a mansion. Yeah. It was like two or three storefronts gutted, and the, and some of the walls were knocked down. And it was the biggest. And anybody who's been there knows what I'm talking about. Uh, roach infested. Uh, just like living in poverty there. Uh, very very Spartan conditions. Yeah. And this uh, is where Ron was. Ron living in this. The whole band was living there. The oh, road wow. crew. The road crew stayed here. Uh, Mark Workman, who lived someplace else, he was our, our lighting manager, stage manager. He had his own place. But uh, the, the, when the band left, it was just Ron and the crew. But when I showed up there at their place, uh, it was just Ron who was there. Everybody else was somewhere else. And they were, Steeler was the only white guys in a 99% African-American neighborhood. Uh, uh, it was a really, really bad area. Mm. You know? And uh, so I, I walked in, and it's just Ron and his flying V. Sitting on the drum riser. What did you think of him right away? Uh, I told I don't. I didn't really have much of it. I didn't know enough of him to make a judgment. Yeah. I said I saw you guys at the Roxy. I said I was there with uh, with Eric Carr from Kiss. We were friends. We we're hanging out there, and, and we saw you guys play at the Roxy, and we were very impressed. And all this, it's, it's what happened with the band? He says, "Well, you know, I canned the whole lineup, so I'm starting over." Okay. And he says, "I heard about you. Your name was mentioned." by some people in passing, somebody I think pointed you out and said, you look like the quintessential rock star. Like, Rick Fox has that look. 
no matter where you see him at any time, he always has that look. He's kind of, he looks a little like Punky Meadows from Angel. He's got the perfect hair, the perfect look, rock star look, whatever. Which has sometimes come back to bite me in the ass, unfairly. Okay. It must be said. It's because I have a look down doesn't mean I'm, I'm not a, you know, a competent musician. But people make their own assumptions, so. So anyway, uh, we got to talking and I said, uh, you know, I didn't know Ron was a Kiss fan. Uh-huh. And I said, I've, I knew the guys in Kiss, and he immediately lit up. <laughs> I said, yeah, I was, I was there back at the beginning. I was watching him rehearse before Ace was in the band. Yeah. So he was all ears. As I was said, I when I interviewed you years ago. Yeah. yeah. And, and I said, uh, I got to meet and, and know Sean Delaney, the late Sean Delaney, who taught Kiss all of their stage moves. Yeah. And, and gave to introduce them their look. He essentially created, he was like the, the, un, the un, um, un, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, he was like the fifth member of Kiss. Yeah, you know, he just—he was the only one that didn't go on stage with them. But he gave Kiss everything that, that made them who they were. Right. So, in, in in knowing Sean, I got to learn all the choreographed moves, things like that. And and um, when I'd go up to visit them at, at Rocksteady Management, uh, Sean was working then with Stars. Yeah. We're just changing their name from Fallen Angel. Takes me in the conference room, shows me all these artwork layouts and 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 costume designs and. and what do you think of this? What do you think of that? What do you think of this? So he obviously respected what, from a fan point of view, perspective, yeah. what I would think about what will become stars. Yeah. You know, and then he eventually called me and had me work with another band that was like his three-piece band called Spike. Yeah. And I worked with them very, very extensively. So bringing all this to the table, I guess, impressed Ron, and he, he, he liked that. Eventually Ron goes, okay, you know what? Here's a tape. Learn the songs. We'll take it from there. Right. We'll see what happens from that point on. So, I, and I wish I, I had that cassette. I don't know, I must have given it back to him. Uh, I learned the songs. I went back and Ron, it was just Ron and I sitting on the drum riser. And he would play the guitar and I'd play bass along with him. We'd tweak a couple of things here and there. And I guess if it didn't work, he would have said, thank you, good night, right. goodbye. But he liked it. it, it worked, it clicked. And uh, sometime after that, uh, the newer drummer, Mark Edwards, uh-huh. Uh, who joined the band before I did. Uh, Mark was coming back from Texas visiting his relatives, and Ron goes, can you go to the airport and pick him up? I said, I'm not even in the band yet. <laughs> you have me go and pick up? All right. So I went to, to John Wayne Airport. I picked up Mark. And I can understand at that point Mark was a little distant. You don't want to be overly friendly to a guy that's not even confirmed in the band yet. Right. You know, so I can, I, I can understand and appreciate his standoffishness back then. Mark was... Uh, very, he was a distant to himself kind of person back then. Right. <sighs> LA traffic. <laughs> yeah, go figure. Yeah. Gee, I might get there by four. Just in the time to leave. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll beat that, I think. So, so uh, I picked up Mark, I brought him back to the Steeler Mansion, and he says, So you're the new guy? I said, Well, I've been working with Ron. I, I guess you guys haven't officialized it yet. He goes, well, we'll see. And we started rehearsing. Uh, I, I, Nikki Six at that point had given me one of his bass rigs. Uh-huh. So I, that's what I had to, to play through. Uh, Ron would sometimes rent a, a Marshall gear from SIR Studios. And he was, uh, he was going out with uh, the, the, uh, Dee Keel, mm-hmm. who was working uh, to, as a, uh, with the promoters of the Whiskey and the Roxy. The, whole, the people who ran the Whiskey, the Roxy, and the Rainbow we're all the same management team. Okay. So it was all like that in-family thing. 
So, uh, you know, they rent a gear for Ron to play through. And it was just Ron, myself, and Mark. Three-piece. Yeah. And we, we rehearsed that. We practiced over and over and over and over and over. And by the end of 1980, December 1982, we were all at the Rainbow, and Ron leans over to me and he goes, shakes my hand, he says, you're welcome to Steeler. Uh, so they made the decision after all that time, and, and so I was the new bass player. That's how I got in the band. Yeah. So not long after that, beginning somewhere in the beginning of January, uh, Ron knew that Mark Varney, Mike, Mike Varney, was writing his column for Guitar Magazine, Guitar Player, Guitar World Magazine, spotlighting all these up-and-coming Pistolero guitars. Yeah. And uh, Ron got on a conference call with Ron, uh, with Mark, Mike, Take two. Conference call with Mike Varney. Yeah. And Ron said, we need the guitar player from hell. Because we're starting over, and we're, we're going super huge, super big. And Mike says, well, I got a couple of guys. And let me send you their tapes. Send us the tapes. And, he, and we heard the, when we heard the Yngwie tape, Ron was like, who is this guy? Before we get to Yngwie, was there any other known guitarists that you listened to for the job? That was pretty much Ron's department at yeah. first. You know, before it even got to me, he would he would have to filter it first. Right. You know, uh, of course, it was Ron's band. Everything went through Ron, Ron first. So, uh, I don't remember who the other guitar player at the tape was, <clears throat> but we were all kind of like, wow, Ingray guys, something else. Yeah. You know, we had never heard anything. I mean, everybody at that point in the world was very familiar with Eddie Van Halen. Sure. And he was like, he had raised the bar to Van Halenism at that point. So that was about the top of your, your mark. And then when we heard Ingvay, we were like, wow. Yeah. Okay. Is this gonna is this gonna work with the Steeler music? Because the Steeler music was not like that. Yeah. We were straight ahead. You know, three chord rock and roll. Right. Heavy metal, rock and roll, whatever. And so we got the, the tape. Listen, we got another conference call with Mike, and he called Ingve up in Sweden. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there, Ron, Mark, myself, we're on the phone, long distance, with Mike Varney on one end and Ingve on the other. And we could hear Ingve saying, oh, man, I want to come to your country. I want to play with you guys. You guys are great. And I can't wait to come there. I want to be in your band. And, 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 and so it seemed like... Everything was all ready to go. Yeah. Good to go, you know. And uh, I don't know if, or I don't remember if Mike had sent Ingve any of our material or not, but he was just hot to trot to get here. Yeah. Now, in looking back, I could see that he wanted to get to the U.S. no matter what. Yeah. He was already on, a, I think, CBS in Sweden. Oh, really? He'd gotten as far as he could go yeah. in Sweden, and he was locked into something, and he, he, was, I, he couldn't get any past where he was at. So he was looking for the opportunity to get out of Sweden and come to America, put his foot on the soil, be Ingve yeah. here. Yeah. As big as he was in Sweden, he wanted to be bigger here, bigger here. So in looking back, I can see that that possibly might have been in his mindset. So no matter who he was going to join, yeah. it was eventually going to be his game. Yeah, it was a stepping stone. So we flew him out, went to the airport to pick him up, and he comes to walking down the ramp. And it was like watching Ted Nugent walk into the room. <laughs> like, this guy definitely knew who he was. Oh, yeah. And yeah. was very aware of himself. So from day one, he was been like, Inve. I have arrived. Yeah. Ingve is not in America. 
Okay. Oh, <laughs> and and uh, so, you know, we just just met. So back to the Steeler Mansion, and he walks in and looks around and <laughs> was not prepared. Mm. He, he was not prepared for the kind of environment and element that he walked into. Where the hell am I, and what have I done? Yeah. You know, and then the roaches, and then... You know, just yeah, we try to keep it as clean as we could, but you know, it's three gutted storefronts. I mean, how, how clean could that be? Yeah, and he's like, This is not what I signed up for, it's not what I expected. <laughs> Holy cow, what did I walk into? So, did, so, did he get standoffish when he saw that? He was just, it, it, you can see the shock, yeah, value that, that, that hit him. Um, so we eventually got around to getting some, you know, renting some gear so he could play through. He has guitars, but mm. he didn't have, you know, his amps or anything with him. I think he might, he might have had a Marshall head with him. Yeah. Uh, I brought that with him from Sweden. And uh, and eventually his, his, I don't know if she came with him. His girlfriend, Tali, Tali Savage, came later. And uh, and we started to get to work. And we ran through the songs a few times. And it was, you know, Mark and I are looking at each other, and, and Mark is looking at Ron, and Ron's looking at me. And what we heard on the phone was was great, mm-hmm. and, and what we heard on the tape was great. But this guy was just like nonstop. There's a song in there somewhere, <laughs> you know. Ingvae's playing, but wait a minute, there's a song too. <laughs> are you gonna are you gonna stop to breathe? Are you gonna play <laughs> through the vocals? He just wanted to solo the whole song. Yeah. Like, okay, are you just warming up or what? Right. You know, no, man, that's the way I play. Oh, okay. And then Rod's like, when am I supposed to sing, Ingve? <laughs> so we eventually got a, came to an understanding, okay, here's how the songs go. Yeah. Here's where you cut loose. Go here, here's your solo parts. <laughs> and I don't know how long after that it happened, but I do re- remember us rehearsing, and we stopped for a second, and Igbe says to Ron, hey man, is there anything you can do with these songs to make them a little bit more interesting? Oh. I mean, they're like really kind of fucking boring, man. Wow. And I looked at Mark up on our drum rise and he looked at me and we just had that rolling the eyes going, oh my God, did he just say what we thought he just said? Yeah. He just told the, the band leader to his face, essentially, your songs suck. Yeah. Is there anything you could do to make them more interesting for me to play? And what did, what was wrong? Ron did the fastest, the quickest slow burn in the face you have ever seen. And it was all he could do to contain himself. That was my memory of, of that moment. Oh. Wow. And it was not long after that that Ron made a decision to start auditioning other guitar players <laughs> while Ingve was living with us. Oh, wow. Behind his back. No, he saw. He saw the guys walking in. He had to sit there and see this guy walk in, and, and he's, he could hear them play through the walls. Yeah. You know, he could hear them playing. Oh, so there was no secret. No, not at all. So you made it clear you're replaceable. Yeah. yeah. It's like, this is the band. This is how it goes. It's this way or no way. Wow. So I and, guess things and, heated up even more after that. And we you? weren't really crazy about some of the guys that were coming in. They just were not hitting the mark. You know? All right. It might have been one guy or so. I don't know. So Ingve finally turns around to Ron and goes, all right, man. All right, I get it. 
I'll, I'll, I'll play it your way. Let's go over the songs again. Yeah. You know, and he kind of got in with the game program, got with the game plan. Wow. Got his shit wired, got it in gear, and and, and this is the band, man. This well, I, I've never, I don't know much about Mark personality-wise, but between you, Ingve, and Ron, that's three very strong personalities in one band. So, I mean, that must have been, I mean, I probably could get heated at times. Well, I developed my personality over years being kicked around in a business yeah. for a while. I didn't have that kind of personality at Steeler. Uh, uh, honestly, there have been moments in my time in the band, even though I was, an, I was a member, I still didn't always feel like a full member. Uh-huh. There were moments here and there where it's like, you're the bass player. Right. Okay. Uh, and I understand and appreciate that. It was Ron's band, and Ron, Mark was now his business partner in the band. So Ron so they, and Mark, they ran things. They handled everything. Okay. They had final say on everything. So, um, and I'll get to another example of that later on. But uh, anyway, so English started to come around. Yeah. And and we're rehearsing the songs. Was and Varney around during all this? I don't remember him coming down there. He just kind of left it to, to us, you know, and I guess Ron explained to him what had happened. Yeah. And Barney's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, but who, who, saw, who saw it coming? You know, so uh, what we would do then is, is uh, and Ingve never took the strat off his neck, except maybe to sleep. Really? But almost 24-7, around the, around the house, around what Steeler made, around the living quarters, that strat never left his neck. You know, we didn't have TV, but Mark Workman was kind enough to bring over a, a combination. Little, it was a little three, four-inch screen TV mm-hmm. that would pop up out of a, a VHS player. Yeah. And he would just record hours and hours and hours of MTV. And Def Leppard, Pyromania has just come out. Yeah. So, you know, they were in heavy rotation. Sure. It was like it was like prime MTV. He'd record all hours of this, and he'd bring it. He'd let us watch. Okay. So we didn't have TV. Or he'd bring movies. Right. And we'd watch, you know, VHS movies. And everybody would gather, the band, the crew, everybody would gather around that little screen to watch. <laughs> Times know, have really changed. Yeah, pull up a chair and like that. So, uh, and I learned a lot of very creative ways of how to how to make Top Ramen, courtesy yeah. of, of uh, uh, Jimmy, our, our guitar tech, yeah. uh, Alan's brother. Uh, roadies have a way of being very efficient and creative like that, on the resourceful. Yeah. So, uh, anybody's walking around, he's got the straight, sit there in front of the TV, the little TV, and he's, go off into his room, and, you know, and uh, so Mark and I would rehearse, just drums and bass, just rhythm section, and he and I would go in there, we shut the door, and we'd play for like an hour, two hours, something like that, three hours, just bass and drums, bass and drums, working out, working out, working out, and I'd come from playing in, in, cover bands in Jersey six nights a week mm-hmm. you know three four sets five sets a night so I thought I was pretty capable right but nobody ever sat down and said listen here's the beat here's before the beat here's after the beat here's this here's this he's and he's showing me the finer points of what works in the rhythm section mm-hmm. no one had ever bothered to point that out and I guess I didn't need to if I was playing cover songs I played what the record was whatever I had to learn I played it right now I'm playing somebody else's original music. Mm-hmm. Different animal altogether. Yeah. yeah. And and I'm in Mark's debt to this day about taking the time to teach me the, the finer points of what makes a rhythm section successful. Mm-hmm. 
And so we'd rehearse for several hours. We'd take a break. We'd go out and whatever we could scrounge to get something to eat. We'd sit at, at, at a big table in the, in the middle of the room and talk about this, that, and the other. And then the whole band would go in. Was anyone working jobs? Like, how were you guys surviving? On whatever gigs you were doing? Uh, you know, Mark would bring over food that his girlfriend would cook. He had a so, Korean girlfriend. So just relying just on like a big meal. favors and, and, and help. He'd either yeah. he'd bring something over or we'd go to her, their apartment on yeah. Sunday and have a home-cooked meal. That's what you always hear about the bands from the Sunset Strip in the early 80s. is just how... Because like, to me, like I'm growing up in Tennessee and I'm just seeing all the glitz and glamour on MTV with Motley Crue and you know Shout at the Devil and all that stuff. And you think, oh, it must be just so awesome for all these bands, but you don't realize that these... A lot of these guys were literally like living like homeless people, hand to mouth, yeah, or off of dancers, yeah, or or you whoever. Fire in a trash can to stay warm. Bag of groceries, yeah. Couch tour, we call the couch tour. You go sleep at somebody's house. So it's got to be just like blind determination to live like that you and still keep going day to day. Yeah, and your 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 mind is on the goal, on, on the end zone there, on, on the target, the, the you know, uh, of making it. Yeah, whatever it takes to make it, you know, and. Uh, I was dating somebody at the time, so she brought some furniture in and mm-hmm. a microwave and, you know, things like that. Contribute to whatever, if we can get something to eat, whatever like that. And, you know, everybody brought something to the table. Literally, we had a table, a big round table. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like that. So, and, and we lived, like, hand to mouth. Yeah. Much, you know, nobody was living better than anyone else. Mm-mm. You know, Ron had a very Spartan area. Mark had a very Spartan area right next to the bathroom. You know, he had a mattress up on, uh, and a Box spring, I think, and a mattress up on some milk crates. Yeah. You know, Ron, pretty much the same thing. Uh, How did Ingve live? He was in the room that had the water bed, but that was the kitchen. <laughs> that was the kitchen, the kitchen area <laughs> where all the roaches were. Okay. Because well. you'd walk in there at night and you could hit your feet hitting the newspaper. Damn. And we go to turn on the stove and you really hear them scrambling to run from the gas and then the pilot light. You know, hitting the floor. Oh, Jesus Christ. It didn't matter how many times you bug bomb the place. Yeah, the roaches, they keep coming back. That's crazy. So, you know, uh, yeah, he had a pretty, it was like a storage room slash kitchen area, kitchenette area. He had the penthouse. And, yeah, and it was like this water bed in there. <laughs> yeah. He slept on that. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I had this little area, when you go into it's a rehearsal room, there was another room off to the side that faced, it was one of the storefronts. Mm-hmm. I mean, if anybody wanted to come by and hurl a, a cinder block through the window, we'd be toast. Yeah. You know. Uh, I don't remember if we boarded up some of them or not, but... Uh, and each storefront had its own door, and it was all it was all sealed off. And I had this, this raised berth area that reminded me of a coach in a train. Right. Like a sleeping berth. It's just all wood. Mm. So creative that I am. I got a mattress, threw it in there, threw up some curtains, uh, uh, put a carpet in, in there, and... Uh, kind of made it look a little more homey. Mm-hmm. You know, I had, had a stereo, a little record player, put that in there, and, and some shelves and whatnot. And, you know, the guys in the band would come in and look around going, oh, this is, uh, this is kind of nice, <laughs> you know, compared to what they had. Right. I had the best room in the place, best looking room. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it looked like a train, like a coach berth, you know, and it looked just like it, you know, like that. <laughs> and uh, so I, that might have been a little dig of jealousy. I don't know. Yeah. So how long did you guys rehearse before starting to cut, uh, cut the album? Well, as I said, Mark and I would rehearse for several hours or whatever. Take a break. We'd eat. Then Ron and Ingve would come in. And it was like, oh, now was the whole band rehearse. Yeah. And we rehearsed like that for several hours. And it was rehearse, 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 rehearse. Tight, 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 tight. 
you couldn't slip a piece of paper in. That's how tight we were. Of course, then when we go to do live shows, the adrenaline sometimes slips in and gets the better part of you. Mm-hmm. You can kind of hear it going a little faster here, a little slower there. Yeah. You know, you can't help but get excited either seeing a Steeler show or being in Steeler. Right. You know, so I did the best I could to just lock in with Mark. You know, I like keeping eye contact with, with whatever drummer I'm playing with. So, and and what was nice about that is is that I had suggested some uh, accentuating things between the bass and drums, kicks and stops and snare, uh, cymbal caches, things like that with Mark. And we, he liked my suggestions. We tried them out and we kept them. So eventually what you hear on the album, what little things I was able to bring to the table are were used. Uh, so they become landmark, signature landmark points that you listen for in a song. Mm-hmm. Like an air guitar player listens for a specific lick or something. Right. You know, and, and I, that becomes ingrained in you. And if it's not there, it's like, wait a minute, something's not right about the song. So before we even get to an album, uh, we felt we're okay, we're ready for a show. Yeah. And so I was, Yngwie was in, Yngwie came in in January. I was in December, he came in January, rehearsal through February. March is coming. Uh, there's a show coming up at the Country Club. Let's debut it there. It's yeah. huge. Steelers a big band. And we were the, the main support for Hughes Thrall. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, Glenn Hughes, Pat Thrall. Yeah, that's you know. pretty awesome. Yeah. And, and again, I have a lot of these little uh, sidebar cut, cutback things. I saw Pat Thrall playing with Pat Travers oh, yeah. at the Palladium in New York City. I got to meet with them after, after the show backstage. Mm-hmm. And I told, uh, uh, I, I, well, I'll get to that. Uh, over the years, Pat Thrall had, had a band called Automatic Man, mm-hmm. like kind of space rocker. Right. And I had both of their albums. I, I, liked, I liked the material because I met Pat and I liked him. I liked the way he played. So I got his, his, the albums he was on. So anyway, here comes the show. We're on stage. They start to raise the curtain and takes my mic stand with it. No. <laughs> These heavy velvet curtains. Hey. Stop! Lower the curtain. <laughs> Move the mic stand. <laughs> curtain goes up. We come on. Country club's packed. Yeah. Everybody's in the audience. Rats in the audience. Oh, Sit yeah. with Dee Keel. Because they played the whiskey. Yeah. They're like, wow, man. Baseball is pretty good. Plotzer's not realizing I'm the same guy who auditioned for Rat. Oh, really? Months earlier. Oh, I didn't know you did that. Yeah, I auditioned for Rat in Steve Piercy's grandmother's garage in Culver City. Wow. And Blotzer didn't like me because I didn't play with my fingers. He goes, oh, man, you got to play with your fingers, man. You got Because the best bass players in the world play with their fingers. I said, you know, he goes, nobody uses, no good bass players use picks. I said, Paul McCartney? Gene Simmons? Yeah. Tom Hamilton? I started, yeah. he got mad. He didn't like that. Anyway, so... So, we, we, we was a successful first show. We, we kicked ass. Mm. We kicked ass. Anybody's out there blazing away. Yeah. And on the corner of my eye, on my side of the, my wing of the stage, I look over, there's Pat Thrall in the doorway with his jaw open. Wow. Watching Ingve. Yeah. You know, the old school beating the new school. Yeah. Well, I, I got to th- imagine a lot of jaws were open when Ingve yeah. hit the scene. Yeah. Because yeah. nobody, nobody was doing that. Yeah, it's like... Here's Steeler, and then it's Yngwie, and everybody went, what? Who is that guy? You know, there's a band out over here. Yeah, but look at this guy. There's a band. Yeah, but look what he's playing. There's a band. Yeah, but listen to this guy. He's yeah. like, 
there was there were moments like that, especially in San Francisco. Oh, really? You know, it's like, okay, yeah, it is a band, but look at this guy. You know, it, it, it worked itself out. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> so we had a really good show. Um, here's Blotzer walking by with the dressing room backstage, looks at me, does a double take. Does, now it hits him. Mm-hmm. I'm the same, same guy that auditioned. And, and he made fun of my, my bass because I had little prism stars in the front markers. Mm-hmm. Called them disco stars. He goes, hey, man, those disco stars got to go. Sounds, no like, sounds like Bobby has not changed at no all. No self-respecting musician would be seen with anything like that on their on their gear. So he walks past, looks at me, does the double take, sees it's me. I said, not bad for disco stars, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Red in the face. <laughs> Boom, took off. Got embarrassed. That's funny. So anyway, it was a great show. And I got to talk to Pat Thrall afterwards. And, and I said, uh, we met. And he looked at me, he goes, you look familiar. I said, backstage Palladium, Pat Travers. He goes, oh my God, that's right. Mm. Yes, and I said, and I got both of your Automatic Man albums. He goes, oh, thank you so much. And, and he goes, like, this guitar player. He goes, where did this guy come from? I said, Sweden. <laughs> I said, ladies and gentlemen, from the country that brought you ABBA. Hingvay Malmsteen. Did Hingvay like that? <laughs> he was a kid. He was 19. Yeah, you know? he was just happy to get all the attention, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it did turn a lot of heads. Oh, yeah. Had phone, to phones are ringing off the hook. Clubs are going, okay, let's get this band. Let's get this band. It's almost like watching a magician at that time, because it's a new magician. Yeah, because it blew people away. It's like you have your standard magicians, then it comes Chris Angel. Right. Like, has this guy sold his soul? I mean, how is he floating midair? You know, nothing (laughs) around. Yeah. So, we uh, we made some we really made some dents. Yeah. Uh, We didn't play the whiskey, but we played we played the Roxy, supporting Vandenberg. That's a cool band. At the time of, uh, their, their, uh, was that the whole song about this broken heart, this mm-hmm. the cold heart? That was a great song. That was, you know, and Adrian Vandenberg was a nice guy. Yeah. We met him backstage you know, between shows. It's very cool. Uh, Nikki Six showed up yeah. to congratulate me. You know, he had Blackie with him. Oh. Now all of a sudden Blackie's like, hey, is there anything I could do for you? Hedging, so, oh, hedging his bets. Now you like me. <laughs> you know, first it's like, you're not, you're not to let anyone in the world know that you were ever in Wasp. Surrender all photos and all proof that you were ever, you, no one... There's no proof to exist that you were ever in Wasp. Why? Because that's just the way it is. Now, the next year, he's backstage at the Roxy with Nikki congratulating me, going, hey, if there's anything I can do, just let me know. Yeah. You know. Mm. And then, uh, you know, so we, we, the Roxy show was great. It was packed. Packed. Somebody said, Brian May was in the house. Eddie Van Halen's in the house. I didn't see them. Yeah. You know. And uh, so we started, we're doing shows, we're doing shows. Uh, Radio City, Country Club again, uh, Quiet Riot's Metal Health album, just gone number one, Billboard. Oh, the whole, yeah, that's that's literally when the explosion took and place. And who do you think they got to support Quiet Riot? You guys. You called Steeler. What a show that must have been. Uh, we did a show at Perkins Palace. I think the place legally holds, I want to see either 800 or, it's away between eight and 1,200 people. Yeah. Legally. That place was so packed that they were doubling and tripling people up on backstage passes. Because they ran out of passes. Yeah. It would be like plus five or plus nine. Yeah. On their passes. It was there. And, and you didn't really don't need that, that many people backstage. Right. It's like a hallway in a, in a basement with rooms. A, and uh, before we went on, I walked past Quiet Riot's dressing room and I saw them in there. And I'd known Kevin. I'd met him before. Frankie and... and uh, 
Rudy comes out, puts his arm on my shoulder, and says, "Hey, man, congratulations! Yeah, welcome to the welcome to the league, you know, the big league, like that." It's very nice of him to do that. Very gracious. What was Kevin Dubrow like back then? Mouth. Yeah, it was all mouth. Always yeah. mouth. 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 <laughs> you know, he's this. He's this. You know. He's the uh, the elephant in the room, you know. That, yeah. Or or not, not literally, but you know. Yeah. He's the he's the vocal the focal point. Yeah. And the vocal. If point. he's in the room, he's going to get the it's, attention. It's Kevin DeBro. Yeah. But uh, they were they were nice to us. Very nice to us. Frankie so, always seemed like a good guy. Back then, yeah. 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 Uh, at least to me, back then, yeah. Yeah. Uh, people change over the years. Go figure. Yeah. So we, we go out there, and I, I don't think there was an opening band. It was just us and Quiet Riot. Originally, I think the ad read the bees, bees, z, 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 and then they, that kind, and then put Steeler in. And so, is this one uh, "Come On, Feel the Noise" was on the radio? Yeah, metal, metal health. So yeah, metal oh, yeah, health okay. was, was, was number one. Wow. No First band to have a heavy metal top top one number one single. Some place just must have been packed like sardines. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think right between that is when we had we had gone up, we got up and started recording. Right, Varney brought us up to to uh, Prairie Sun. It's like 50 miles north of San Francisco in, in wine country. Oh, I thought you would have recorded it here. No, it was up in Katati. Just to get you away from everything. I don't know. They had, he had a Varney lived up there. Oh, so, okay. So that was that was local for him. Uh, we were we were at least able to record and take back with us the, the, the intro theme. Yeah. Which I wrote. Two notes. Well, look, Mark, got, Mark got 20% for coming up with the name Abduction. Uh-huh. Ingvay got 70% for playing all the instruments, guitars, piano, I think. Even piano. Mm-hmm. I got 10% for actually writing the song. That's the little idea of the politics I went back then. Yeah, that seems a little off. So, like I said, sometimes I felt like I was just a bass player. Yeah. And, and it's like, here's the paperwork. Well, the contract. What about this clause? What about signs and papers? Mm-hmm. Or we get somebody else. Although you were actually told that. Wow. What? Not always the all for one and one for all thing you, you think it is with, with bands. Yeah. But again, that was years ago. Yeah. And that was the politics. And that was how it was done. Right. And I wasn't going to rock the boat. Right. I liked where I was. I wanted to stay where I was. And who knows if it would ever happen again. I was... I had, none of us knew that we were all part of a history. Yeah. At that point. It was being written. Right. Now you don't think about it when you're in the middle of it, I'm sure. Right. So uh, it, was a, it was a fiercely cold time up there. It was, it was coldest... Uh, without having gone to the North or South Pole, I've, I've never seen bitter cold like that. And I'm from New York. Right. We've had cold winters. This place was cold. Yeah. Uh, Pretty nice studio? Yeah, nice. Small. Yeah. Nice, yeah. Uh, Mark's drums were in one building. Uh, somebody else was in another building. This was like a, it was like a farm, a ranch yeah. of something like this. A lot of horses up there. You know, you, you can't go anywhere unless you're on, on four wheels. Right. Because it's really far to walk anywhere up there. And uh, so anyway, we were, we were recording the album... We were able to come back with, with something, and we had the abduction. Uh, and we used that. That was our opening for when we were with Quiet Riot. 
uh, the, the, the backstory on abduction essentially was we went as a band to go see, uh, to the Roxy to go see Y&T, mm-hmm. the Black Tiger tour, oh, that album. I love that album. They had a theme song. Yeah. Called From the Moon. Yeah, it's great. It was their opening and yeah. closing theme. And I'm sitting there and my mind's, the wheels are turning, the wheels are turning. Always having been a fan of Angel, I know they had an intro theme, mm-hmm. which was a cut up and re-edited uh, sections from uh, Ten Commandments, I think it was. Yeah. Okay. So this, this, the concept of having an intro theme before the band walks on to get everybody's skin crawling, get the hair stand up, get the excitement going yeah. before the band actually hits the stage, that's always been in the back of my head. It's a little bit of that Kiss influence, too. Exactly. Yeah. You know, been there to fire, fire people up. Right. Yeah. So after, kind of back to the Steeler mansion from the Roxy, I immediately go into the rehearsal room, pick up the bass, I start noodling around with stuff here and there, and I and I just I hit an E chord on the bass, mm-hmm. and I hit a C chord on the bass, and it hit me. Wow, this is almost like a, a, two notes out of the the theme from um, Phantasm. Mm-hmm. Phantasm's theme is almost like a cross between. Uh, it's got a little bit of the exorcist. But he's got these... It's ominous, dark tones, minor minor scale type tones mm-hmm. that suggest or infer darkness and ominousness, something large to be afraid of. So that's kind of how I added e, those E to C chord. And it also hit me that those are some of the opening chords in the Grand Funk Railroad song, Loneliness. Mm. Right after that intro, as Mark Farner's coming with the guitar, the background, Mel Shatcher's going, E, then as Mark's pl- finger picking, and he goes to C. Mm. There's that same movement in there. Mm-hmm. So it's coming through, I guess, through the back of my mind somewhere where I'm getting, Yeah, that's how abduction was written. I'm sitting there playing an E chord, playing a G chord, E chord, I'm sorry, E chord, C chord, E chord, C chord on bass. Mark comes in. He's like a hair through the wall. He goes, what are, you, what are you doing? I said, I got an idea for something. Mm-hmm. So he sits down at the drums, and I have the E chord, and he goes, broom, 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 broom. And I hit the C chord, broom, broom. Now it's starting to sound like something. Yeah. It's coming together. Ingbe comes walking in. He goes, hey, man, that sounds really cool. What are you playing, man? What is that? I love your Ingve impression. You know, because he's drawn to the dark yeah. music, you know, the, yeah, he's the minor all about chords that. and, you know, well, Blackmore and oh, Willie sure. Roth. Yeah, it's his heroes. That, that's who he emulated on stage. All his physical gestures on stage was a combination of Blackmore mm. and, and Uli Roth. Yeah. You know, was no Deep Purple song that he didn't know. Oh, yeah. Or, he or loves Scorpions. that stuff. Yeah. So I shout out his E chord, C chord, E chord, C chord. So that's when he starts doing, you know, his little string bends in between yeah eventually what you hear on the album is what i wrote that's cool abduction so cut now to perkins palace we got the tape and igby had just bought a boom box Mm -hmm. and they put it up on the soundboard and somebody put a cassette in and hit record intro tape comes and it sounds big yeah it's huge you know auditorium theater and it's those those thunderous chords and the booming drums and we come on, and it's just, and I have a copy of this from tape to CD. Mm-hmm. And it sounded almost, it reminded me of the old King Biscuit Flower Hour concerts. Yeah. 
you know, when they record Priest or whoever. Right. You know, because you got all the room ambience. Yep. And the people cheering. And we did, we hit our, our rally in the beginning, a chord, and we cut right into On the Rocks, and it's just, it was a ride from there. Yeah. One after another, after impact. Hit, 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 hit. Sledgehammered the audience. <laughs> and we played two new songs that we were not able to put on the Steeler album. Really? Because Varney wanted to make room for Ingve's solo. He wanted to have Ingve's version of uh, Eruption mm -hmm. on there. And we had uh, Victim of the City and Excited. Yeah. Which are two very up-tempo, in-your-face rock and roll songs. And he's, Varney's like, nope, I want to have Ingve's solo on there. So unfortunately, the only place you'll hear those songs that we recorded are the live versions. Uh -huh. And they weren't 100% super tight. They were tight, but, you know, there was a couple of hiccups here and there. Uh, and I don't know if that was because of, of the monitors or Ron not being able to hear where we were, or the excitement of it all, getting caught up. I don't know. Anyway, so we did those songs live. It went over just as well, you know, like that. And uh, there was a, a kind of a commercially song we did called No Way Out. Because, mm -hmm. you know, Mark was friends with Def, Le Def Leppard. Oh, he really? was friends with Rick Allen like this. Rick used to give him all his extra endorsement gear. Uh -huh. Give Mark symbols and sticks and stuff like that. Because people were just fawning over Def Leppard. They were number one. Yeah, they were the flavor of the week yeah. at the time. And, and it was through that that Ron got us uh, uh, backstage passes to go see Def Leppard at Irvine Meadows, mm -hmm. which was a big venue out here back then. And, of course, then we went with the band back to the hotel and hung out with them and, and the road crew and everybody like that. Um... So, No Way Out was kind of our attempt at trying to kind of be like a Def Leppard. Yeah. Really come more, it was not the, like the standard Steeler format stuff. It was something different. And, and it showed a different side of us commercially, mm -hmm. you know. And, and, and really super high harmonies in it that I couldn't hit. Uh, Pete Marino uh, was, was uh, one of the recording artists uh, on Varney's Shrapnel catalog. Pete came in and sang the, the, the high, really high back and forth. Oh, okay. It's almost like chipmunks that high. Yeah. You know, why we couldn't recreate that live. Just a victim of killing on the streets. You can run. 
even Joe Elliott had a hard time recreating that stuff live. Yeah. But Lang, they had better gear. Did a lot of tricks with that stuff. Yeah. So if I was Joe Elliott, I'd still be mad at Bud Lang, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, the, 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 the Princess Palace show was it was awesome. Yeah. It was a monster show. And of course, then the next weekend, Ron says, "Well, we'll see you at the Country Club, and we'll see you at the Troubadour." And, of course, you hit the troubadour and it was like lines around the corner. Wow. Out the, out the club, around the, up the street, around the corner. I mean, not everybody could get in. It was that packed. Wow. You know, troubadour was originally not designed for that kind of material. It was a folk club. Yeah. You know, it had a decent size, somewhat decent size stage, but it was not that deep. You know, and, and so we, we did a successful troubadour show. We did another country club show with black and blue. Uh, so you knew Tommy Thayer... Back, yeah. back when he was Tommy Thayer. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Tommy Thayer, uh, uh, sidebar with Sin, uh, uh, Kiss Connection. Tommy was one of the people who came sing backup on the Sin Master uh, Master uh, Al- Master Demo album before we were recording the Sin album. Right. Uh, Tommy Thayer and Patrick Young mm-hmm. came in and sang backup on that. Oh, okay. Along with Mark Slaughter. Wow. So It's like, such a small world. Yeah. I hate to still have... In the words of Stephen Wright, I'd still hate to have to paint it. <laughs> but yeah, Tommy Thayer, Black and Blue, those guys, you know, yeah. and, and they were big locally. Yeah, they were competitively big with Steeler. Right. You know, and it was a little bit of an argument over who's going to be headlining. Yeah. You know, politics being what they were. But it was a great show, mm. and uh, Patrick was was generous to loan me his SVT, mm. let me play through that. Uh, yeah, Patrick Young, and uh, let's see. Just you know, show after show, they were they were kicking ass. the the uh, The album was getting ready to come out. It was being mixed. It was getting ready to be presented to the world. We uh, we did a show in Orange County at uh, Radio City, place called Radio City. Another sellout. Hot, sweaty show. I mean, literally hot, sweaty show. Yeah. It was packed. It was like, where's the ventilation in here? You know, the dressing room was the kitchen. Yeah. Like for many bands who can identify with that. Sure. And uh, we had an incident on stage where there's a part in some of the songs where Ingve and I would come together shoulder to shoulder, and then Ron would come up in, in between us from behind and put his arms around both of us. Right. So now it's the boys up front. Right. It's the, it's the triad where we're in your face, and Ron's digging us, and we're, and we're all digging the show, and the audience is digging the energy that we're giving him. And he'd have these studded wristbands on. So as he'd go around like that, okay, with his arms around us, our shoulders are, then he'd go to, he would jump back and we, we would part. Yeah. Jane Vane and I would part, go to our respective sides. And as he did that, his studs and the wristbands went like, caught my hair oh. and yanked around like that. And he had some of my hair in his wristbands. So after the show in the, in the kitchen slash dressing room, I said, hey, Ron, um, you know the thing you did with the, I said, with the wristband, I said, can you be a little more careful next time? I said, you got a hank in my hair. And then he, and he says to me, looks me right in the eye and goes, hey, man, don't worry. It'll never happen again. Uh-huh. Ron had never talked to me like that before. So he seemed, like, taken aback that you said that? Uh, I, I Something was not right. Yeah. Something was not right. I immediately, my, my gut reacted. I, where, something strange detector went off. Right. And... It was said that we were going to have a band meeting the next day after the show. We always had a band meeting after shows, like football teams. You know? Yeah, see how to talk about how yeah, everything you, goes. You, you, you videotape your show and you have a, an all after 
yeah. report. You know, uh, uh, where you you uh, uh, review what 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 the, what the show was, mm-hmm. the performance. And uh, we got back to the to the Steeler Mansion, and slept or whatever. And next morning, I get up, I walk out to the main area, the common area. And it's just Mark. Ron's not there. Ingbe's not there. Mm-hmm. Where's the band meeting? He says, uh, he goes, I'm not sure where, where Ingbe is. He goes, I think Ron's runs with Didi. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Robbie's not going to have a band meeting. Mm-hmm. He says, but we got to talk. I said, I don't like that phrase. Yeah. Those four words, we need to talk. I have heard that before from Blackie. Yeah. I didn't know if I was going to like where this was going. Right. And he says, it's, it's fallen upon me to be the bad guy. He says, but uh, Ron and I talked, and uh, we're going to scrap the whole lineup again. So Ingpei's leaving the band, and we're going to look for another bass player. Wow. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. This is what Ron envisioned as his ultimate all-star lineup-looking band. Yeah, that's who he put together. This is, he was so, everybody was so happy with this. I, I there was nobody there to give me a, a real reason, tangible reason, that I could wrap my head around as to why this happened yeah. all of a sudden, right after this gig. So I'm thinking back to what Ron said the night before. Was there something going on that I wasn't aware of? Yeah. Was there miscommunication? There was no, no communication properly going on between the band. I don't know. Yeah. I had nothing to work on. And so uh, a few hours later, Ingve showed up with Andy Truman, who yeah. was the manager of Alcatraz. <laughs> oh, that, the, that came, happened fast. The truck and picked Took up his Ing, stuff. He picked up Ingve's gear and Ingve. I don't think he said too much. And, and Andy didn't say that much either. Just he was looking around at the conditions of place. Was he made a couple of snide comments. But yeah, Ingve told me about this place. Like that. And then uh, I think I think all Ingve may have said on his way out the door was see ya. Really? And that was it. All on the same day. Yeah. Awesome, man, but I'm still driving, so uh, <laughs> we're not quite home yet. We got a ways to go, so you're gonna have to handle this part too. All right, I'll keep us in between the lines. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun so far. We're gonna hear some more awesome stories from Rick in a minute. We'll get a little bit of business out of the way. Our good buddy Daryl Albert over at HK Collectibles Inc., yeah. he's got more awesome stuff available over there this week, including. A 1984 Kiss Animalize era bumper sticker. Oh, nice. I didn't even know that existed. I need one of them for the Comanche. That's right. It's the, the piece that'll hold my fender together. And also, for Kiss fans, if you're uh, really into con- collectible concert tickets, he's got really cool stuff from the Dynasty, Revenge, and Farewell Tours, among others. Simply go to decibelgeek.com, click on that HK Collectibles Inc. banner, and just do your shopping. That's very cool, you know, and of course, while you're doing your shopping on Amazon, you're checking out the HK Collectibles Inc. store, 
You'll find right there on decibelgeek.com our Amazon banner. Everybody knows how this works. You're doing your shopping on Amazon anyway. Go ahead and take a moment before you do that to go to decibelgeek.com. Click on our banner. Now you go to, it takes you right to Amazon. You do all your shopping like you normally would. You can do it from your car if you really want to, just like us. We're doing it from the car. You can do that, and when you do it through our link, it helps us out. You don't pay a penny extra for anything you buy, but what Amazon does, they take a cut of what they make, and they give it to us. So it doesn't cost you anything. Amazon covers it. It's beautiful, and it helps us. You know, it just makes life easier for us here at Desbogie. Absolutely. It buys us a couple of beers at the Ricky Rocket Show. Yeah. And also we get this cool list of stuff you bought, and uh, we don't know who bought it, but uh, some interesting purchases in the last seven days. Only a couple of beers, I say, because we're driving home. Yeah. We're that being... was a long time ago we drank those. Well, friends know when to say when. <laughs> uh, bought on Amazon this week uh, an audio book called In Trump We Trust. Okay. Also, I do. Also a book called Teacher Misery, Helicopter Parents, Special Snowflakes, and Other Bullshit was bought. Okay. That sounds like those two books getting go hand in hand. Political already. Let's get off politics. Genuine BMW all-weather floor mat. Somebody's got a Beamer. Nice. Nice. A Moto G Plus fourth generation 64 gigabit phone was bought. That's cool. See, it can be just anything. You know, whatever you're buying, it helps. So, yep. Especially when it's a big ticket item like That's that. That's true. Also, we sold another Plan R 24-inch widescreen LCD monitor. Monitors for everyone. We sold a lot of them in the last month. Uh, Kiss Classic Logo t-shirt and exclusive stickers. Right on. Uh, someone bought a Black & Decker jigsaw. Okay, cool. Also, uh, uh, Angry Birds two-piece two bath set. Okay. Can you relate to that? No. Me neither. <laughs> uh, on DVD, someone bought a Chicago Cubs 2016 World Series Collector's Edition DVD. All right. Someone bought When Harry Met Sally. So someone, oh, wow. Someone's wife's buying. Uh, Pornograffiti Extreme. Did we, we used to use some of the clip off of that for one of our... Put the, put that's the true. Rock. Yeah, see, that's probably why. Maybe. They finally figured out where that clip came from. Someone bought the Extreme Pornograffiti Live 25 Metal Meltdown Blu-ray. Awesome. And then in music, just a couple of purchases this week. Out Loud, Love Catastrophe was bought. We sold we sold another Kansas album, Monolith. Oh, man, they are the new yes. They are. And Ted Nugent, Double Live Gonzo. All so right. we started political, we're ending political. <laughs> now back to more stories with Rick Fox. Your head must have been swimming with all that. Well, that's an understatement. Yeah, yeah. it's like, what the hell just happened? So it's, it's like, well, you can't go, you know, you, you got to go home, but you, you can't can't stay here right yeah well did you get to talk to ron that day no i don't that that i I remember no not at all he never came back while i was there i had to start packing my stuff up and and get ready to leave now as i'm packing my gear up i got my stereo on yeah i happen to be listening to uh, a copy of uh, live speed on ice talus yeah billy sheen has been a friend of mine since the 70s yeah the original lineup of Talus. Yeah, back in Buffalo, New York. New York. Yeah. Who comes walking in the door? Mitch Perry. Hmm. And he hears this. He goes, "Wow, who's that guitar player? The guy's amazing." I said, "That's no guitar player. That's a bass player." Yeah. His jaw dropped. I said, "That's my friend Billy Sheehan." Well, as as history would bear out, he eventually wound up playing with Billy Sheehan and Talus. Right. Recording some albums with him. 
So there was there's how that connection yeah. happened. But the guys who replaced Ingve and myself in Steeler were Mitch Perry mm-hmm. and a bass player named Ron Murray. Right. Played with a band called Dutch Courage. I'd never heard of him. He didn't even look like a rock guy. Yeah. Looked like a, a banker. Well, after you were let go, did I mean when did you had to run into Ron and talk to him at some point? It just I, as I recall, it wasn't really discussed. It's just you know what we're we're just starting to line up. It's like it's like how people are employed in California at will. Yeah. We can employ you as long as we like. Mm-hmm. If we decide that we don't want you in the company anymore, yeah. we don't have to tell you why you're leaving. Yeah, that's true. It's just thank you. Yeah. It just seems odd with. Clean at your desk. Thank you. It just seems odd with, you know, the buzz building and everything, and then... That's what's the head-scratcher. But I, I... Well, I mean, I obviously, Ingve leaving, that was probably kind of expected. And, and people had reminded me that I had introduced Ingve to Phil Moog from UFO. Uh-huh. Apparently, Phil came to one of our shows. I didn't know him. I wasn't introduced to him, but I went up to him and went, Phil Moog, UFO. And he's yeah. So we were talking. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Ingve had walked up, and I said, Phil Moog, Ingve Malmsteen. I guess Phil was checking out Ingve. Yeah. And heard about Steel. The buzz, you couldn't get away from the buzz with Steeler. Yeah. And it was Ingve, 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 Ingve. So a lot of people are coming to check us out. Right. You know, and, and uh, you know, like that. It's people fishing off fishing off the pier looking, you know, for the next talent. Yeah. Well, I mean, him leaving is, that's not a surprise because I think that was his his end goal anyway. That was the unit. Well, looking back, you can say, okay, now yeah. it all adds up. Yeah. When you connect the dots, it was just part of his master plan. And the Alcatraz thing didn't last that long either so I mean well as, as a, Ingve puts it you know in order to join Ingve, in order to join Alcatraz Ingve's uh, 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 deal sealer was that he has full control over all the songs mm. he writes it they, they play it yeah and of course anybody who's played even remotely with Blackmore has Ingve's interest and Graham Bonnet of course was in Rainbow yeah so that was enticing enough to get Ingrid to be, to be interested. <clears throat> yeah. And my, my, my friends, uh, Gary Shea and, and, uh, and uh, Jimmy Waldo. Jimmy Waldo, thank yeah. you, from, from New England. Yeah. Were in the band. So, you know, and I'd seen New England open for Kiss at the Madison, Madison Square Garden. They were also the uh, forerunners of the Vinnie Vincent invasion before Warrior. Vinnie got the job. Yeah. yeah. Warrior, right, exactly. Yeah, they were playing on all that. So a lot of people don't Hirsch know. Hirsch Gardner. That. Yeah, and Hirsch Gardner was the drummer. Right. It's weird. It's basically New England with Vinnie Vincent. Yeah, that's a, that's you know most people would not even know that. There's but a lot of there's a lot of six degrees of separation. I would have loved to have heard that band actually do something because yeah. the demos are great. Well, uh, uh, Hirsch told me about how Vinnie walked away with with everything. Yeah, and, and essentially screwed him. Oh, he absolutely did. So when yeah, when the invasion court. came to to the Boston area. Yeah, we talked about Bobby Rock with about the this uh, whole story. They, they, yeah. The police showed up and yep. confiscated everything right before they went on. Yeah, the uh, guitar tech for Vinny um, took all of Vinny's guitars and put them in a in the toilet stall yeah. and sat in there with them to keep keep the cops from getting the guitars. And Hirsch Gardner had a had an <laughs> injunction. Yeah. And he confiscated everything. Yeah, so we interviewed Hirsch a few years ago. I got his side, and then we interviewed Bobby, and I got the other side. Yeah. And then, of course, Bobby's like, you know, at the time, of course, we were mad as hell at the guy. He's like, you know, of course, as history bears out, you know, yeah. he totally was within his rights to do that to yeah. him. Yeah. You know? and, and it gave us an idea that a seed that Vinny is the guy who walks away with something doesn't belong to him. Right. And what did he do to, do to me? Right. On the run, let's freedom rock. So there yep. you go. <laughs> Full circle. But, but with the with the Steeler thing though, it's just it, I guess it's a huge head scratcher with you know at least because at least even if Ingve leaves, you've got to think well we've got a name rec- we got name recognition right let's just go yeah but it's almost like they were like well, now it's a convenient time to cut 
cut Rick out of the picture, maybe? I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know what... I couldn't imagine what I would have done to deserve to be told, you're out. Yeah. Uh, everything seemed fine. We had an album in our pocket, which had just, had, it was just about to come out. I was let go right before the album came out, so I wasn't even... You didn't get to enjoy that. I wasn't even in on the... the uh, Promotion. The, president at the record store when it came out. Yeah. I wasn't asked to be there to sign or anything. I I was excluded from all of that. That's really bittersweet. But no, nah, it's a... So I'm, I'm guessing you got a copy of the album, of course, when it yeah. came out. I got, I got a, of course I got a copy of the album. But it must have been kind of hard to even look at it after what went down. Yeah, it didn't taste good. Yeah. I, to, 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 you know, to say the least, it didn't taste good. But, you know, uh, again, when you, when you have no idea why this happens... And nobody talks to you about it. Your mind starts racing with, what did I do? Wow, what did this happen? Yeah. And I couldn't get inside Ron's head back then satisfactorily enough to find out what happened. He was just moving on. Well, I know you're, you've are you been on friendly terms with him more recently. Um, yeah. Did, I mean, have you guys ever hashed it out? Or has uh, it, it not come up? You know, I, I can't cite anything specific now that he, he said to me. We've talked over the years over the phone a few times. And he corresponded through email. I'm not sure if I ever recall confronting him with that. Yeah. And I was, you know, there's been talk about something revolved with Steeler recently mm -hmm. that I thought would be a great opportunity because we'd all be in the room, uh, uh, warts and all. Yeah. We'd walk in friends and hopefully walk out friends at the end. Yeah. You know, but I, I needed closure. Mm -hmm. I never got that closure to find out what happened and why. Yeah. I did talk to Mark Edwards. I reconnected with him around, I want to say around 2008, seven or eight. We talked on the phone for a while. And he did say to me that he regretted the way the break, breakup happened. Yeah. He says, looking back, he says, he goes, well, we were all pretty much full of ourselves. Now, I don't know if he was referring to himself or me, or Ron, or the whole band, or Ingve, or whatever. He didn't. I didn't press him for who do you mean specifically. We're full of ourselves. Yeah. He goes, but you know, we were full of ourselves, and there was some egos going on, and, and we weren't probably making the right decisions. We we're all looking at ourselves, and and I I don't feel good about the way the breakup happened and how you you were asked to leave because I, I'm not really good. I don't feel good about that now looking uh. back. He said if we were able to stay together another couple of months, we definitely would have been signed to a major deal. Yeah, sounds like it. Now, when Steeler first got to L.A., they played a whole bunch of circ clubs, circuit, and they put together a showcase for record labels. Mm -hmm. It's like every record label in town went to see them. Every record label walked out of there past them. And it's pre, no. pre you and Ingve. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, now, why didn't we do another one with the two new guys? Yeah. It would have been a different story. Oh, easily. Yeah. But since they'd already, the, the, the taste of the name Steel was already on the record labels, they already heard. Nah, they, they we've heard pass. them already. We're not going to. Why are we going to go back and see them again? Yeah, you know. And I'm thinking to Ron, why didn't you wait until you had what you really wanted, and then do it? Stars in his eyes, probably. It makes sense to me. I don't know. Yeah, but I guess that's maybe he was inexperienced too at that time. Maybe that was the wake-up call. I'm, I'm, I'm speculating. Yeah. With his his lineup that he came to LA with, so like, okay, well, if the label's going to pass, and and we're a good band, then this, I got to do something. Yeah, you know, and then he changed the lineup, and we came in, and, and nothing detrimental to his original lineup. Those guys are good players. Yeah, they were very good players. 
but they didn't have the whole packaged image yeah. that Ron wanted. Which was hugely important you know, at that time. Tim Arson was a great bass player. He was like like Cliff in ACDC. He just hugged the, the, the amps and he stayed there steady right next to the bass, uh, the, the, the bass drums. And he didn't move from that spot. Uh, uh, Mike Dunnigan was the guitar player. He was kind of back and forth across the stage. Yeah. Kind of had an unusual uh, stage presence way he moved on stage everybody interprets their music physically differently yeah and and I was kind of I knew I was amused a little bit by what how they were their antics on stage but I could see Ron was the whole show yeah Ron was he was that focal point that laser beam of the whole band coming together and it came out through him yeah so I, I could tell Ron was going to be a star yeah you know the other guys they didn't really have to me star quality right but that's what Ron wanted, ultimately. He had said in the documentary, I wanted guys that look like stars. Yeah. Okay, so what I get hired for, for my look. Is that what we're saying? I don't know. I mean, I could comp obviously, I, I covered the material. Yeah. I was a competent enough bass player. And just uh, hypothetically speaking, so what if I played bass like Ingrid played guitar? Then it wouldn't be Steeler songs. Right. It would be total, totally something different, and I would have not gotten the gig. Yeah. Ron wanted a guy in the pocket, steady, steady, in the pocket. No. Well, you don't need a, you can't really have a bass player going all over the place with Ingve playing that stuff. Then it wouldn't sound like it, it would be it would, it would just be a mess. You know, it would have, it would have completely... You would be a prog band or something. <sighs> would have torn apart the Steeler songs. Yeah. And Ron wouldn't have been happy with that. So, essentially, looking back, I was, I played what I was, what was required of me. Right. No more, no less. Mm. You know, more would have been different and less would have been, you're out, so... Yeah. So, obviously... I, I was doing the right thing, but I never got noticed for being a good, solid, in-the-pocket bassist. Mm. It was always about Rick's image, the hair, the image, the hair, the image, the hair, the image. That's all I ever heard was the hair and the image. You got a great, great look, great look, great look, great look. No one ever said, you're a pretty good bass player. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, for some reason, it's come back to bite me in the ass. I don't know. It kind of comes off like a backhanded compliment sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people have seen me play live. Yeah. They've seen me go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Ingrid live. You know, I've, I've, I've walked the boards many times live, and people have said, man, you're an awesome bass player. I don't see myself as awesome. I'm competent. I get, I don't go out to do bass solos. Right. You know, then again, I don't have a, a whole floorboard for pedals. Right. Make monster sounds and, you know, uh, flangers and choruses and all that. Because that's essentially what, look what Gene does. Yeah. Gene Simmons. He makes noise. Yeah. So, so he can... But, but spit, you come from blood. that New York background of, you know, the... To just get a good groove going and, and run with it. You know, uh, all of my my idols, my, my influences, have pretty much been guitar players. Right. Uh, at least performance-wise. Bass player-wise, it's been Steppenwolf, Cactus, uh, Alice Cooper, mm -hmm. Kiss. You know, then there's Aerosmith, Stars. Yeah. You know, those were the, the bands I was exposed to. I wasn't I wasn't from the New York Doll school of sloppy playing. Yeah. I was from a more organized, uh, structured mm -hmm. songwriting background, and that's what I believed in, was the song. The background, you know, your intro, your verse, your chorus, get to the point. Yeah, don't bore us, get to the chorus. And, and guitar players shouldn't be using the songs to showcase more than what the song calls for. Right. You know, and essentially in the 60s and 70s, that's what guitar players did. They, they underscored the, the message of the song. But then as we got into the 80s, the whole writing style started to change. And, and guitar players were using the bands as, as or not using, but they were uh, showcasing above and beyond what the song was calling. Yeah, for. well, it almost became more about the player than the song. Yeah, you know, and that sometimes causes an abrasive 
frictions between the singer and the guitar player. Yeah. You, know, you have your issues like docking. Yeah. Great band. Oh, yeah, but his dysfunctional Great players. are good. Here's George going, I don't like the way Don sings. Yeah. You know, and here's Don writing good songs. He's trying to rein in and leash George. Yeah. You know, and... And we were we had the same components as Dokken and Loudness. Yeah, yeah, you actually did. Quiet Riot, Dokken, Loudness, Steeler. It's all the same type of bands. That's true. You know, and and I did get an opportunity in, when I was in Surgical Steel in '87, '88 to to record with Mick Brown, mm-hmm. who came in and played drums on a, on a Surgical Steel song, or one of our songs. And when we were done, he looks up at me. He goes, "I don't know why I hear this crap about you not being a, a decent player." He goes, "You're just as good as Jeff." Wilson. Yeah. And coming from Mick Brown, you know, that's a feather on my cap. Yeah. That's a high compliment. So, I don't know. I, I guess it comes down to jealousy or something. I don't know. Well, when you, uh, I mean, have, when's the last time you went back and listened to the Steeler album? I was doing it all the time. Oh, okay. So I, well, I, I played all the time. What I mean, your, play to it. Right. What are, what are your favorite songs on the album? Um, well, I got to say, Bronson. Great songwriter, and I, I think the, the real diamond in there is, is "Cold Day in Hell." Yeah, because that tells the story of a, from a first-person perspective of what it's like to try and make it in the music business and get kicked kicked around. Yeah, you know. Essentially, he's, he's underscoring, what, and I, I love Cold Day in Hell. Yeah, it's a great song. Uh, what I do in the beginning there on the bass, there's like a little slide up, octave slide. Mm-hmm. It was the same thing I did when I was in Wasp in, in uh, song B.A.D. Yeah. I do the same thing. It's the same intro. Ba, 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 ba. I just took it right from Wasp and put it in Cold Day in Hell. <laughs> uh, and uh, I like uh, uh, Hot On Your Heels. I love Hot On Your Heels. That's a great closer. Yeah, uh, we've moved that around in the set a few times until we fit. You know what? At, at the end, hot at your heels. It's the best place for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like Backseat Driver. I like uh, uh, On the Rocks. Yeah. You know, I like the whole album, really. But, right. You know, Serenade. This is Serenade. Yeah. You know, when I first heard Serenade, I said to Ron, "This reminds me of Dog and Butterfly by Heart." I can hear that. Yeah. And I, I suggested, "Can we do a call and answer?" When you sing a line, then I can repeat the line behind you. When you sing a line, I repeat the line behind you, and we come in together on that last line. He goes, nah. Okay. Throw it at the wall, see what sticks. Right. Don't stick, move on. So. Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, and, and it, it builds in intensity. It starts mellow and builds and builds and builds.
I, and I also like excited and, and victim of the city. Yeah. Uh, listening back to them, I was trying to figure out what, what was I playing in those songs? Because it, it's not super clear quality with all the ambience in the room. Right. And then I would go back and listen to the board mixes, the dry board mixes from the country club. Mm -hmm. well, what was I playing in there? And then I, it came to me one day, I went, that's it. Okay, now I can, you know, and, and uh, so I've got those, you know, played those and can remember those now. Yeah. Um, Kurt James, who was the, technically the last guitarist to play in Steeler. Yeah. He and I have been toying with an idea at the back of sidebar, in the back of our heads for the last few years about doing some kind of maybe like a Steeler tribute. Yeah. And he's all for it, you know, for as much as Yngwie may have not got, gotten along with everybody in the band Steeler at the time, just the opposite with Kurt. Kurt and I are like peas and carrots. Yeah. You know. Uh, I always takes the time to come and say hi to me at the, when he's at NAMM or whatever. So, and, and we want to put this thing together. It's just a matter of finding a you know the drummer who can play the parts the right way. Yeah. And somebody who can sing Ron's parts. Right. You know, uh, Ron's got a lot going on in his life. He doesn't have the time to come out and do this. So. Right. You know, and, and it, we would never call it Steeler. Right. Never do that. That's that's ethically wrong. You know. Are you listening, mean, Bobby Blotzer? What's that? I said, are you listening, Bobby Blotzer? <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, you know, I'd probably name it like On the Rocks or something. something. Yeah, it's yeah, a some, reference. Some name it a Steeler Tribute or something like that. Yeah. Because it, 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 the fans are out there. Yeah. They want to see, there's people who missed it back then who still want to see it. They want to hear those songs live. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd be happy to present it to them. I, I, I know, actually I know more and better now on the songs and playing it wise than I did when I was actually in the band. Right. There's, I wish we could go back and re-record so I could put in the bass stuff that I had written that fit. Yeah. That's a little bit more melodic. And, and accentuates the songs now, but I don't know. Well, so how old were you when the album was being recorded? I was the oldest guy in the band. Yeah. I was 27. 27 years old. If Rick Fox of today could go back and tap Rick Fox of 27 on the shoulder, what would you say to him? Be careful. Yeah. Watch. <laughs> Be careful. Listen. Listen carefully. Watch what's going on around you all the time. Yeah. Listen to what people say. Yeah. Make notes. Right. But even with that, as acrimonious as things ended, in hindsight, I mean, it's got to be a, overall a happy memory for you to to look back on that era. You know, I, especially I, the shows. Did you light up when you talk about those packed packed clubs? I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah. I was lucky to be who I was. I was blessed to get that gig. Right before that happened. I walked in the rainbow one night, and there's Angel's Greg Jufria yeah. sitting at one of the middle ta big tables having drinking champagne. And he goes, "Hey, come on over, sit down, sit down. Hey, I want to talk to you. You know, your name has come up many times on the road when we had Angel, and I know when when we, we when Mickey left, there was talk of you. Your name kept coming up. He goes, well, "What would you think about joining the finally now?" Mm -hmm. He says, Rudy Sarzo's playing with us temporarily. Right. When Rudy leaves, what do you think about coming and finally joining to play with Angel? Which would have been my dream band. Yeah, because you love that band. I loved Angel. I could play all their stuff. And and uh, I said, you know, that's a tough decision. I got an offer to join this local band, Steeler. He goes, well, you know, you got to make up your mind. Which one you, you want? The, the band you wanted or this new band? And I'm thinking, well, what has Angel done lately? Yeah. You know, they're not out there. They're not doing anything that I know of. Right. But here, I, I'm at the fork in the road. Angel, Steeler. 
Steelers hot now. Angels not doing anything right now. And who knows if it's going to take off again. It's a very transitional time, so who knew? It was a, it was was a big happen. risk in the wishbone for me. Yeah. And I said, you know, I'm going to pass on Angel. Yeah. That was a hard thing to do. I bet. But I, my heart also told me go with Steeler. Yeah. And that's what I want. That's, that's what happened. So, yeah, there's, to answer your question, there's moments of, of elation and good memories uh, live. Yeah. When we were on stage, that was probably one of the most fun and best times to be in Steeler. It's when we were in front of the crowd and performing. Yeah. The behind-the-scenes stuff that people don't know about. Yeah. You know, the politics and things that go on in the background, behind closed doors. Obviously, that was not fun. Yeah. You know. And it happens to a lot of bands. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and, and looking back, I, I, I can't feel bad about being let go from Steeler. Some of the biggest players in the world were let go from bigger bands. Oh, absolutely. You know, Bill Ward got let go from, from Black Sabbath. I'm not putting myself in their categories. No, I know. But you know, Ronnie Dio got fired from Sabbath. Yeah. Ward got fired from Sabbath. David Lee Roth got fired from Van Halen. Yeah. Uh, 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 um, what's his... Um, uh, um, not Ronnie Montrose. Uh, Sammy Hagar yeah. got fired from Van Halen. Everybody's been fired from something. Sure, it's common. For whatever political reasons there are. Yeah. And they're the, they are the best players sometimes that have been in those bands. They're the players who made those bands mm-hmm. what they were. And they still got fired from their own bands. Yeah. You know, so I, I, and I don't feel so bad about being let go from Wasp. There was a reason for it. Right. Looking back, you can introspectively go, well, of course, it set me up for this. Right. And this and this. Because if I was in Wasp, then I wouldn't have been in Steeler. If I was an angel, I wouldn't have been in Steeler. If I was in Steeler, then I wouldn't have been in this band or right. this band, you know. So, you know, and Steeler helped put me on the map, finally, to, to put my own bands together. Yeah. And then the first time out, started out good and went bad. Right. It, it's, you know, personality problems, conflicts happen. And, and uh, it's like, I've quit. No, you're fired. No, I quit. No, you're fired. Well, it's my band. I'm fired. You can't fire me from my own band. Well, I, I walked out. Well, happened to Vinny. You know, but <laughs> but when there's strength in numbers, they all get together and go, no, we, he, he, he got fired. Yeah. And people tend to believe that. Yeah. You know, which is their detriment. Happens a lot. But, uh, well, we're almost to NAM, I think. Uh, but appreciate you taking time to talk about the old days in Steeler. I appreciate you having me on. I know there's going to be uh, a lot of fans that like it. It's always fun. Well, you know, if it's not for the fans, where's the band? Absolutely. You know, the spark, the creation creates the band, but you ain't nobody until you got the fans. That's right. You know, and you never forget the Ronnie James Dio School of appreciating your fans. Yeah. You know, you give them that time and and let them know how much you appreciate them appreciating you and what you you brought. You know, if, if you can... If you can make a positive difference in somebody's life, then you've done your job. Absolutely. When it's your time to go, you know, you can take that with you. Right. It's like Errol Flynn as Custer in the movie, uh, They Die With Their Boots On. He goes, you can take glory with you. Yeah. And that's that's it. That's all she wrote. Well, so. that's a good way. We'll go out on that. Thanks again, man.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 